Literacy Advocates, on today's episode, you have a special treat. We have two amazing educators on with us today. It's my first time having a duo, and this duo is quite dynamic. So let's see how, you know, we are going to come out of this without sweating and feeling like we walked away with like so, so much. So first we have Maya Evans, who is a higher ed um, professor, and Tahima Williams, who teaches in both middle school and higher ed. And so today we're kind of going to just speak um, our hearts in terms of where we're finding there to be gaps in students' literacy needs and maybe try to brainstorm some things that, you know, we all collectively can do. So welcome, ladies. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, are we just jumping straight in or like, what's on y'all minds? Yeah, we can jump in. Um, yeah, I mean, this is always on my mind and just always something at the front of my mind because I work with these students every day, really. So, um, I'm always directly working with the students that are the struggling learners, the struggling readers. Um, and so, that's just always constantly on my mind about like, you know, how did they get here? That, that is a question that I have often. It's like, how did they get here? The fact that they made it here this far is very, I just think it's magical at times, but it's also confusing because you're like, when you look at where they're at with their skills, you're just like, oh my gosh, like, where would I be? I know I wouldn't have made it that far without the education that I was given. And so to see that they made it as far as they did to higher ed, um, I'm always amazed by that, but I'm also concerned just because like, you know, who, how did they make it here? And like, who, who basically who passed them along? That's always what I'm always questioning. So. Yep. And because you're in the higher ed part is as if you're missing a whole larger piece of the puzzle, right? Because there's not lots of collaboration that goes on between the two worlds. And Tahima, you and I have talked about that lots and lots of times throughout the years about how it's disheartening and inspiring at the same time to know that, you know, they've stuck with it to this point, but now where are they going to go past that with the reality that pass along doesn't exist outside of K-12? Right, right. And I guess the answer to Maya's musings or wonderings about how they got here is that it is um, a decision made even higher than the teachers themselves because teachers have these conversations about the disservice that we're doing to students when we allow them to just be pushed along, failing every class and pushed along and not giving the services or the attention that they need. And they're just pushed along and pushed along because that's what works for that particular district or that school, um, but it doesn't work for the kids. And it is a disservice. And it's, it's not something that when you have conversations with teachers, like even now, I know we're in a pandemic, but there's a lot of teachers who are upset about things like flooring grades or, you know, allowing kids to just be passed and um, the disservice that that does to the kids who are working really hard in a pandemic and acting like we can't still set goals for these kids to aspire to. Yep. So Maya, at the secondary, at the higher ed level, we talked about some things um, that happen once they come to you. Mm -hmm. with the limited skill set or we won't say limited but without having those skills that they need to be successful at that level can you talk a little bit about that when it comes to you yeah so in higher ed and I, I work with students in developmental classes for the most part that's been my experience 
Um, so they're coming in already being identified as at risk. Um, so they're in developmental uh, reading, writing classes. And so they're also taking though a whole slew of college classes in general. And so what tends to happen is they'll come to like tutoring and they need help with a college level essay. And what they're really struggling with at the basic level is really just the basics of writing, like subject verb agreement, spelling, vocabulary, word choice. And it, it's rough, like it's just rough to be in a tutoring situation because what happens in higher ed is that it's all about acceleration at that point. The goal in higher ed is really to say, we need to decrease the amount of the number of students that are in these developmental courses. So it's kind of the conversation is how do we get them through by any means? And so, you know, when you're a tutor in higher ed, they'll tell you, you do broad to narrow revision, which is that you don't start with the basics of writing. You don't focus on spelling. You don't focus on grammar. You focus on ideas. And what, what I find and what any tutor finds at that level is really the ideas can't even be there because number one, I mean, their reading level is just not there. So they've totally miscomprehended the reading as a whole. And really the ideas aren't there because they don't have the word choice. They don't have the vocabulary to really express what they're trying to say. So you do have to really focus on just the basics of like, what are you even trying to say in this essay? What are you even trying to do? And a lot of times you are the first person, if you take it there with the student and, and you're nice about it, but you're still being honest, you are the first person who might be telling that student like, hey, where you need to be, like what this essay really needs to be versus where you're at, very different levels. Yes. It might be their first time that they're hearing, you know, they really need to focus much more on their vocabulary. That spelling does matter. Um, the subject verb agreement does matter. And it's heartbreaking because, I mean, they're struggling that much with one essay in one class, which really means they're struggling in all of their classes, however many they're taking. And they've got a long ways to go if they want to actually finish college. Um, and, and, you know, I really, I've put so much work into trying to help them with that. And, but it's just hard. And you know that the likelihood that they're going to come out of that class being a better writer and a better reader is, is you know, slim to none. And then you just think about how are they going to sustain this for the entire time that they're in college? Where, it, where are we gonna fix the issue? A lot of times there's actually a mismatch between what the class is focusing on and trying to get the students to do and what they actually need. I mean, in higher ed, they don't teach you how to spell. They don't teach you how to read on a basic level. They don't really focus on word meaning um, on, in a literal sense. So they don't talk about synonyms, antonyms. They don't talk about that. They're talking all about in context and even that might be too high for these students. So um, it's just really hard. And, and it's really like, there's no way we are going to address the problem or remediate the problem um, right here. I think it's really funny how they've stopped calling them remedial courses and they've changed it to developmental to make it sound nicer. But it really is like, mm. no, you need to be brought up to speed. Like there are things that you need to be taught first before you can actually do this, so. The power of words, right? Because I also think calling it developmental gives students the false impression that it's something that's inside them. Right. Developmental, right? Tahima, you've been like right in the way there. You ready to jump in in this, in this <laughs> conversation? I see it. You saw me. Um, so yeah, I, I entered higher ed um, 
and I started immediately teaching English 102. Last semester was my first time teaching the same kind of courses, Maya, that you were talking about teaching. And I found myself, I'm teaching middle school in the day and I'm teaching this developmental course in the evenings. And I found myself teaching the same lessons um, to my college students that I was teaching to my, my middle schoolers. How to read, how to read purposefully, how to annotate and pay attention when you're not understanding and use a dictionary to help you understand all of that I, would, I felt like I was doing double duty because somewhere along the line, I had students who did not know to do that. You had adult students now, because now yeah. we're talking about a whole nother spectrum when you're teaching adult students and strategies that you might use, or even the way you have conversations or build relationships with an adult student who has a severe skills deficiency. Right. Way different. Right. And um, jumping back, because Maya, you had me right and you did, um, you know, talking to students about their level, that, that was right on point because I have conversations with my colleagues now in the middle school level where we test kids in eighth grade for their reading level and find out that they're reading at second and third grade level and nothing is said to those students then. Um, and that you have to know that, you have to know that that you have to work twice as hard now because of where you are right now and where you're going to be tested. But then I also think the push toward testing is a big part of our problem because when you were talking about getting the vocabulary for your ideas, that comes from exposure and that comes from being allowed the freedom to choose the books that you want to read and, and not be forced to read what everybody else in the room is reading because the teacher at the front of the classroom says so. And because of the focus towards, you know, we got to pass the, well, when I first started teaching it was NJA, um, NJS, now it's Park. It, was, it has always been for the decade that I've been in the classroom, we've got to get them ready for this test, not we've got to get them ready for the world. Right, yep. yes, that ready for the world. And you know, one of my favorite uh, sayings T is education for our, you know, marginalized at-risk youth Education is about life or death for them. It's way more critical than for other groups. If they don't have at minimum, at minimum, the basic competencies to communicate, be it in speaking, be it in writing, they don't have the basics for that. It sets them so far behind the mark for a lifetime. Because like Maya said, how how are they going to sustain getting tutoring because you enter college not even performing on third grade level? You entered college that way. And when you come in your first year, you're receiving tutoring and, you know, the grammar, the mechanics, the spelling. That was a lot for you at the time when you were in high school and middle school and elementary school. Now having to analyze sophisticated text and critically think. And what Maya said about, you know, their, their model is deal with ideas. It took me back to being a middle school teacher. That's what we're told to focus on, focus on ideas. Don't concern yourself with conventions, right? Mm -hmm. How are they effective at writing without regard for conventions? Mm -hmm. and, but that's a whole mindset 
despite the fact, and I've had this conversation with many administrators, despite the fact that when they take assessments, um, I started with GEPA. When I started my teaching journey, it was GEPA. Despite the fact that any of those assessments, they're scored on conventions as well. Exactly. So why are we not, um, and Maya, this was something you spoke about too, the standards are in place for a reason, mm-hmm. right? So why are we not at minimum meeting that? T, you wanted to jump in? I did, because the standards aren't just in place. They've been in place for 10 years, but I've had conversations with colleagues who still don't like them, still don't want to follow them. So it becomes a question of like, um, we've, we've talked about this a lot, um, the the too many cooks in the kitchen feeling of like somebody's got to lead and we, we've got to get in line because it's not about your ego. It's not about what you think works. It's about us coming together to make this work for these kids. And that that's a battle that's ongoing, really. And it's a double battle because we're no longer in that world. Um, I was having a conversation with someone else yesterday and I said, you know, Uh, For a person to say it's okay to only teach uh, texts that they read when they were 12, when they were 12, 52 years ago, today does not look like when you were 12, 52 years ago, right? So when we add that our students now, they're digital natives, right? My nephew is five and he's been upstairs YouTubing, vlogging his little heart out at five, okay? He came down to get Asia for a whole segment on his vlog and talked to me about how it's not on YouTube yet because his mother doesn't understand uploading yet. And he was so exasperated about the fact that mom didn't have the video uploaded yet because she has things she needs to figure out. So my mom, she just doesn't get it. She doesn't know how to upload yet. You know, he's five. So we're teaching kids for a whole different landscape right if you're if you're teaching them for the world that you came into that world no longer exists right and so you have teachers who were talking about oh they they don't all have to go to college but they still need these skills even to get a job at mcdonald's you can't just walk into mcdonald's and ask for a job anymore you know there's there's a whole process that they're not equipped for if we keep feeling that there's no paper application, okay? The, just that alone, the paper application where in all transparency, that paper application could be given to someone who has more proficiency than you in terms of that part. Because if you put them in an arena, get them the job, they can learn the skills on the job. But step one is that paper application. You could have given that to someone else to get you in the door to do the job that you can do. There are no more paper applications. And there are like tests for McDonald's that ask you to critically think scenarios that are on the computer and they're long. I was watching a kid take one and I was like, wow, just the level of thought that the questions were asking you and the choices, like what would you do? How they had to critically think through that Mm -hmm. before you can be dumped into the next phase. Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes some educators, and that includes teachers, school leaders, they aren't cognizant of how different things are. Yeah. It, it makes me wonder how often they're stepping out of 
Well, when I taught in, in terms of the administrative level, well, when I taught back in the day, because just that clause right there back in the day, when you put that back in the day in there, that already basically deems that to be almost ineffective. Yeah. Because back in the day is just that. It's back in the day. But what are we doing to come up to today? Yeah. And it, it, um, that's where the gap widens too. Because like I actually was talking to a friend of mine like last week or two weeks ago about this. This idea of like everyone doesn't need to go to college. And when you really think about it, that's where the tracking system came from. You know, because when you say that, it's really like, well, who? Who are you to say that who gets to go then? Okay, maybe everyone will not go, but who gets to decide who will and who won't? And that's kind of where I, you know, the, the tracking system came from that, where you determine early on, these kids are going to go off to college, so let's continue to prep them to that level versus these kids. You know, you've already doomed them for failure because you've already set them on that lower track. And historically, I mean, we know that that's been people of color. We know that that's been Black students in the school. So that's kind of you know, when you said that to Hema, that kind of reminded me of that. And, and you know, I just had that conversation with, with a friend and, and that's where that gap widens. And like you said, with the test, things are getting more and more advanced. So what used to be considered basic literacy back in the day is no more. It's no longer good enough to just be able to read literally. And like you said, the tests are getting more complex at every level, okay? And so that's where that gap is because, you know, for me, as a black person, I look at the fact, especially as a teacher for adults, you have a whole generation of African-Americans who never were given the opportunity to have a good education. We're, we still have people here from the Jim Crow era. We still have people here from that segregation era who were literally not allowed to go to school with white people who were not allowed to go to school and were not given a quality education. Like they're still here, okay? And they deserve to be taught as well. And so when we look at what literacy is today and the standard for it, it's even much higher than it was then. And so now, like for students that I've worked with who are trying to get their GED, not only can they not literally read, but you've also got to prep them to the level of being able to pass the GED, which is actually a more advanced test now. So that's where that gap widens, okay? And those are people who had kids and their kids have kids. And so when we talk about intergenerational illiteracy and poverty, that's part of it because we're not prepping these students to that level. And so I think that that's really important um, that we just think about that. And you're right. I mean, those tests are, they're hard and the tests aren't everything, but we don't even have people that can pass them on a minimum level for even now what we consider basic jobs. That's so good. <laughs> that's so good. Intergenerational poverty and just the widening of the opportunity gap, right? And, and again, going back to what I said in the beginning that words matter, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to something in a staff meeting and it says those terms, right? Intergenerational poverty and the widening of the opportunity gap, I think it makes a difference than how we usually hear it, right? You mm -hmm. want to chime in, T? I think I was gonna take us a little off topic with this, but... Um... I think a lot of people outside of K-12 education do not realize that our schools are still segregated, if we're keeping it real. I've been teaching for 10 years. I have yet to have a white student. I've taught in urban education, what's labeled urban education. And those two districts, I've only had Black and Latino students. And what is that about? It, it's, not, it's not fixed. And so 
when st studies show you that a more mixed school produces better education for these kids, what kind of education are the kids in the schools that I've taught in getting then? If they are missing that exposure to going to school with other white, with white children. And I think I'm learning now in my new role and my new space and place, a firsthand look at that segregated world that exists within our schools where I walk into a classroom and I want to sit down and be taught science in there. Mm. Me now, just the environment, structures, systems. Um, and I feel like, yes, resources and money matters. Mm -hmm. But I feel like that's also an excuse in some other places. The focus is on the lack we don't have versus what do we have? And, and the biggest thing for me is mindset. When we go back to colleagues, right? And we're trying to converse with colleagues about being solution oriented, problem solvers. Let's start with this to grow that. Um, it's mindset. And I think that's one of the biggest differences is the mindset. Yeah. And, and, and how serious we take the fact that we're like neurosurgeons who aren't real doctors. We're, we're shaping and molding brains. Right. right. And, and, and I, oh, sorry, did I, was I interrupting? I don't want to put it all on the teachers though, because teachers are employees, right? And we, we follow the lead of our leaders. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I've got, 15 people in front of me as a teacher who all want to do different things, I have to take the lead and point them in the direction of where we're going to go. And when you have, you know, and teachers don't get into it because they're wallflowers, right? They have strong personalities. You need a strong leader who is going to say, this is where we need to go for these kids. Whether you like it or not, please, we need to get on board because it's about these kids. It's not about your ego. It's not about my ego. It's about the kids. But it's just a strong leader, though. I think there yeah. needs to be um, some uh, qualifiers here, right? Mm -hmm. Because a strong leader who is not knowledgeable is, is, in my opinion, not going to help things. Right. They can sit in a classroom and not even see what's going wrong because they don't know what's going wrong, right? And so there's that part. Is So it's knowledgeable. I also think that, and I'm going to say this very bluntly, you have to give a damn, right? And that's that's what drives us, right? That passion and that fire that, besides what's here at this space that I'm occupying now, because of my belief in these children and their ability, my belief in their ability and my belief in who they can be, I go outside of what's immediately in this space to do whatever it takes. Right. Even if it's using my voice and platforms that can get services to children who need it. Right. Because right? at the end of the day, all children deserve to be literate. They all deserve to have basic competencies to be able to leverage themselves at minimum. Mm -hmm. But for, for basic wage earning. Yeah. At minimum. And it's very that to me like I've had students in seventh grade 
school, their academic functioning level was kindergarten. And I've had administrators just put on blinders to the fact that if you're in seventh grade, academically performing on the level of K, when you left kindergarten, there were some things that didn't happen, number one. There were some things that were not at play because you had to have still at minimum maybe been at the, you know, early, early, early reading level. Mm -hmm. um, but then you come in grade seven and it's, okay, we want them to just focus on analysis. Yeah. But how? Yeah. They need phonics. They but need how? And in middle school, middle school, I'm going to say grades five and onward, teachers aren't trained in, in early and emergent. Um, they're not trained to teach kids how to read. Mm -hmm. They're not. They're not provided the resources for that. Mm -hmm. And even though middle school, sometimes, you know, they get this idea in their mind of, okay, well, guided reading will fix that. Guided reading looks very different. It's a whole system a whole series of intentional steps that are planned for child reading development. It's not just put them in a group. You go. And it's designed for the elementary level, right? Really, because the higher you go, you could be in a classroom of 20 kids with a very vast reading difference now. You know, I had I could have as much as I talk about the kids who are reading below level, you could also have kids who are reading higher level in the same room with those kids who are reading below level. And so how do you as a teacher with only so much time in the day, you know, pull it off? Time, resources, and training, right? Hmm? Time, training, and resources. Because right. you have limited time, you mm -hmm. have limited training, and you have limited resources. And that's where, you know, I've spent a lot of my time in my positions arguing um, about just that. Time, training, and resources. If you're not at minimum bringing those to the table for your school, then we need to rethink how we're going to do this. We have to stop putting, trying to put Band-Aids on bullet wounds. Mm. That's, that's, that's the thing. It's this constant put a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. And it's not a, a, a blame or shame. Um, like Maya said, when we talked last, she said, um, I don't care whose fault is it, but somebody is responsible. Right? And I think that like, what I do find interesting, I've studied the standards enough, despite how people feel about like common core standards. Actually, if you look at the standards, um, it said up until fifth grade that you should be doing phonics and fluency practice. So I find it very interesting, this misapplied research that people have taken that, oh, if you're not reading on grade level by the end of third grade, it's not likely that you'll ever catch up. And I feel that the schools have used that as an excuse to justify why they do not teach phonics or things like spelling after third grade. And in fact, actually, <laughs> I think the standards messed up here where you look at the language strand of the Common Core Standards, spelling is actually listed in the language strand. It's not listed in the reading uh, foundational skill strand. And so actually spelling is listed all the way up until 12th grade that students need to be able to spell on level. And so I really think that that's been overlooked, okay, from a top-down level, and that's why it doesn't get into the schools. And so they justify no longer teaching the basics 
because they say, oh, well, they should have gotten that in third grade, but that's not even true. The standards don't say that. The standards say spelling is all the way through 12th grade. The standards say that grammar punctuation mechanics is all the way through 12th grade. And so that's something that I'm looking at. And I've actually asked, like, I think we talked about this last time, I actually have reached out to my state of Ohio and been like, okay, if everything is centered around the state test, why aren't the state tests assessing those skills? And so unfortunately we know what gets tested gets taught and what doesn't get tested doesn't get taught a lot of times. So I'm like, if you put that in your test, spelling, grammar, punctuations, all those basics, then it could get back into the schools, but it's not there. And I'm, I'm still wondering, no one, they have not responded to me. But it, it, but it is in the test though, because when students have to write that written expression, mm-hmm. all of that comes in play. Yeah. All of it. Uh, yeah, it I've does. seen my state, what, only two points on the writing portion are allotted to grammar, punctuation, like the conventions, only two whole points, which really means even if they're not spelling adequately, if they feel like they've expressed themselves well enough, they could potentially pass that section of the test, which we know for the most part, I mean, their reading levels are not there. So most likely their reading, their writing skills aren't going to be there either. And so I did look at that and see that they, yes, technically assess spelling, but it's embedded in the writing portion. It's not really on that level with the vocabulary. That's true. And also students receive the same score, um, written comprehension, I mean, reading comprehension and written expression. Mm-hmm. They, they get the same score. And I want to kind of go back to what you mentioned about language, the language standards, right? And Tahima and I served on curriculum committees for a long time. And one of the things that I've argued was how essential it is to include the language standards in the priority and focus standards that districts identify, mm-hmm. right? Because we put um, reading literature, reading for information and writing, but speaking and listening and language standards, which think about what our kids are doing now, vlogging, right? Mm-hmm. Podcasting, speaking and listening and language. Right. Yeah. right, right. And then I think uh, what Maya was talking about, there's a lot of time spent on, on telling teachers what not to do. Right. I've heard so much, so much, you know, you don't do this in isolation. You don't teach spelling in isolation. You don't teach uh, mechanics in isolation. And you're absolutely right. It sticks better when it's paired with something, but then there's no follow-up training to teach teachers how to do it. I've had three years back to back on how to write a three-part objective, but people are not coming in and the objective is not for the students. That's for the teacher and and administrator communication, right? So that when you walk in the room, you know what I plan to do with these kids, right? It's not for the kids. Um, But, you know, how I take a piece of writing and use it to teach comprehension, model their mentor their own writing and then use it to teach the conventions all in one that's a skill and that's a skill that needs to be taught to some teachers Mm -hmm. so we get into professional development right tying it back to what i said in terms of just teacher training when it comes to teaching reading but also Mm -hmm. we can say the same as it comes to teaching writing like having professional development that's actually geared for curriculum development to improve instructional practice, having meaningful professional development. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's critical too, 
having meaningful professional development that ties in multi-levels. On professional mm -hmm. development days, there should be collaboration between elementary, middle, high, and higher ed. If we're saying we are um, helping to helping kids to become college and career ready, right. if mm -hmm. there's no articulation above 12th grade, and how do you know what what's going on at K-12? What they're seeing? Right. I mean, you and I know because we're still, you know, Tahima in in schools. But Maya has no frame of reference for what actually happens in terms of teaching an English language arts class. Because she's yeah. for sure. But now where she is in higher ed, she has nothing to inform besides when the students come to her, she knows there's gaps. Right. right. There are right. huge gaps. And so ladies, we, we can take this and branch this into so many different areas. This has been such a dynamic conversation that I hope um, touches educators, period, at all levels to, to just bring light to the fact that our students aren't faring well. And, mm -hmm. and we know how the numbers can be presented. Numbers can be presented to, to uphold the lie, right? So the reality is those humans who sit before us each and every day and just when I think about their emotional well-being to sit as an adult with a child with another adult to face the reality of my deficiencies that vulnerability that's a skill too and so we're faced with that part as well. And I think that if enough of us um, make enough noise in the right places, this will turn around. And, and, and we're not excluding parents and that parental piece, that caregiver piece, but we also know the reality that that dynamic is different and we don't have, we don't have as much control there, but we definitely have a level of influence there too though. I found that communicating with my families makes the wealth of difference and building those relationships where at home they understand, do the best you can. If that's only putting the subtitles on your television when your child is watching television, do that. Mm -hmm. But being able to have those family school partnerships where all are welcome, right? Mm -hmm. And we're here because we are solution oriented, problem solvers who want to make this world the best that it could possibly be for our kids and to help them be able to leave an imprint with their footprint a non-destructive one a constructive imprint with their footprints right. i appreciate you all joining me today um i think that when i listen to this again we have some subtopics to record because there was <laughs> so much more that we could have brought to this um and we will and we definitely will so Maya, can you tell others how they can connect with you? How can people find you? Oh, yeah. So I'm on Twitter. My handle is the Ave Maria. So the Ave being African-American vernacular English. So the Ave Maria. That is my Twitter handle. Um, that is my professional Twitter that I call it. I follow all things literacy. So you can see me on there. So. Yes. And she used my tag. That's, that's what I use in... Uh, my elementary and middle schools, all of my stuff is all things literacy, my newsletter, my Google Classroom. Um, love it, love it, love it. And Tahima, how can people connect with you? 
my professional Twitter is my name at Tahima, T-E-H-Y-M-A-W. Okay, so there you are, listeners. So please, 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 um, if you want to connect and learn more from these ladies, just, you know, connect with them on Twitter and we're going to continue to use our voices to uplift. Um, Have a great weekend, ladies. And thanks again for joining me. Thank you. Bye. Bye.